We can chat about that if you'd like. Well, it's kind of old. That's but... okay. Since we're not talking about Thunderbolts 169, you'll only have one book if we don't. What? No one reads Thunderbolts anymore. Hey, Tim is somebody. Nobody other than Tim reads funny or whatever Thunderbolts anymore. Is <laughs> Thunderbolts still good? Obvi- I mean, you're, I know you're reading it, but <clears throat> it's not like a Teen Titans situation, is it? <laughs> no, I, no, I, I found it enjoyable. They're still like traveling through time, but they're they're in Camelot now, which I think is amusing. Because I like I like Jeff Parker. Kind of got off that book for a while. There's a really cool fight scene between Troll and the Black Knight. I liked it. Hmm. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll say I'll save our digital comics conversation for the for the show, Paul. Fan fucking test. <laughs> hey guys, sorry I'm late. Well, we were we were wondering, you know, where our Wonder Wayne was. I wasn't. But we were thinking we'd just have DJ Kitty sit in. <laughs> well, the, pro- the problem was is that Paul's mom fell on top of him and took him a while to escape. God, <laughs> that was, so that was for you, Wayne. I appreciate you, Tim. That's a little creepy. Hey, Paul. Just yes. a little FYI. You put the banter in the note I sent you, not the group chat. God damn it, Paul. All. Hey, I caught it. We're cool. Well, copy-paste? Well, right. I guess what really upsets me is that there's this private side conversation going on that we're not privy to. He just sent me his books. Uh-huh. I sent him the list. Yeah, you you know that. You know, this is all Jonathan again. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> hey, Wayne, I have a question for you. I'll talk to you after the show. <laughs> right there, Aaron. Eat it. <laughs> Proof. Hey, uh, uh, the chat room looks stupid. <laughs> you're happy, Aaron. No secrets. Thank you. All right. So unless, unless you're GMing, in which case I send you secret messages. <laughs> <laughs> so let's chat about some books. Let's figure out our list. That I'm assuming we do want to chat about Batman number five. Uh, yes, I have words. And Lord of the Jungle number one. Uh huh. How about Avengers number twenty one? I don't need to talk about it. I need to know because I flipped through it. Uh huh. Just for my own personal edification. Where the fuck was Storm? Uh, she was unconscious on the ground. Yes. Yeah, with her with her boobs almost rolling out of her suit. Okay, so she wasn't really like in it kicking ass. It no, was, no. Like, Despite what the cover would indicate, uh huh. She really does nothing in this book other than lay on the ground. Fantastic. Which yeah. is pretty much what all the Avengers do in the book. To be honest with you, yeah. <laughs> everyone gets their. It is a. It is literally a four dollar book of the Avengers getting their ass kicked. Yeah. I'm a little tired of reading that story. Yeah. I got it in two Avengers annuals already this year. <laughs> I got it in new Avengers already with the frickin' Dark Avengers bullshit. Fucking tired. Come on, Bendis. Mix it up. Well, I have been rewatching uh, Enterprise from beginning to end. I'm enjoying it much more on the re- on the reviewing than I did when it was originally broadcast. Enterprise was such a good show. I it, did like Enterprise. It had a lot going against it on when it was you know shown and. The whole fl- flipping around time slots and things like that, but and there was about a season worth that was utter crap. But other than that, mm-hmm. you know, one season out of a four isn't bad. I, there are a lot of problems with Enterprise that that relate to why it didn't go beyond four seasons. But uh, I think that they spent too much time uh, revisiting past successful storylines, and while I enjoyed those, it just became a little too. Too much of an inside joke kind of thing. Yeah, by the time you get to season four, season four was incredible. But again, I just I think they they didn't spend enough time building their own storylines versus you know traveling you know traveling roads that we've already walked. 
but I, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm in season four right now and uh, just finished the uh, Mirror Universe stuff. Oh, those are great episodes. And, you know, what's surprising is, is you, know, you knew that the special effects were pretty good. But watching it in HD, you're like, wow, I had no idea there was that much detail. <laughs> Wait, so aren't the Mirror episodes like right near the end? Yeah. Yeah. I think if I remember correctly, those might be the ones right before the finale. Um, there's still another couple of episodes. It's like I'm on like episode 88. So I think there's like 12 more to go. Uh, I, um, I I pre-ordered and I know I'm a sucker for doing it. I pre-ordered the, the next generation they they have the they basically have like a best of season yeah, one. Yeah, their HD, you know, a sample of next generation in high high definition. Yeah, I saw yeah. the trailer for it, and I just I had you know it it looks so different. I'd be real curious to see what that looks like in HD. You know, yeah, because season one looks horrible now. Yeah. Going back and watching, yeah, oh yeah, that was the problem with it. They had to go back to the original negatives on all of them. Um, because you know they 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 were filmed on film, but then transferred to video and. You know, they actually had to go back to the original film and basically redo it, and everything looks in. I mean, they have trailers online. Things just look entirely different. Oh, yeah. comicsology! Your your site now sucks. Yeah, doesn't it? Fuck. Where's what, the thing where it says next week? God damn it! Print comics. <laughs> yeah, you have. I say you have to click print comics first, and then you can get to next week. Oh my god! It's just like when I call somebody and they say, "If you want to speak English, press one." What country are we in? Oh, no, but it's going to make you say one. (laughs) (laughs) That's what drives me crazy. You call to reorder your prescription, and it's like, say yes or no. Yes. Say yes or no. Yes. And the more irritated you get, the less it reads your voice. (laughs) Yes. Yes, goddammit. If you speak Espanol, your ass better fucking press dos. I don't have to press fucking one to speak English. God damn it. With Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is the Mad Bomber. Uh oh. Uh oh. Ah! He's loose. God damn it. It's been a while since we've had a ragey red Tim. I'm gonna <laughs> bomb I'm gonna bomb comicsology. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a dream this week that Jeez. freaked me out a little bit. So in the dream, my wife inherits a house, a house in Cape Cod. And so we go and visit this house. And, you know, of course, we don't get there during the daytime. We get there in the evening. And, you know, it's on the coast looking over, you know, looking over a cliff down on the water. And it's this it's this large home sprawling, 200 years old, hasn't been lived in in 20 years. And we're walking through it. And as we're walking through the house, you know, the windows are boarded up because no one's been there in a while. And I'm thinking, you know, honey, this is kind of a page out of a horror movie script. I don't think we ought to be here. 
And I keep looking out through the through the window slats, you know, the the boards covering the windows to make sure that the car is still there. You know, cuz I have this feeling we're going to get a we're going to get trapped here. And as I'm looking around the house, you know, and there's shadows and whatnot, I'm seeing small children lurking in the shadows. And when you'd go back and take a second look, they'd be gone. And so I, I remarked to my wife, you know, in the dream, are you seeing those kids? She said, no, I don't see anything. So we keep going through the house. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm really thinking we should go. And so she starts whistling this, like, lullaby nursery rhyme tune. And I said, honey, I, I really, I, I think we should just go. And she goes, no, the children want us to stay. And that's when I woke up. I didn't care for this dream. I, I liked it. I found this dream quite disturbing. So the moral <laughs> of the story is, if they're not smart enough to follow your lead, you ditch them. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is something that I, I take to heart. Uh, you know, see, fear the con for a little child sleep them for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How you doing, Paul? Yeah, I, I should have done that too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, good things don't happen. All those zagnuts I could fucking eat ever. <laughs> At the end of the world. So speaking of abominations, <laughs> you guys seen the new DC logo? I, I I don't understand the new the, the reason for the new DC logo. Why is this an improvement over the previous logo? It's not. I will say I don't understand yeah. the reason for it, but I don't mind the logo seeing it. You know, they had like mock-ups on on the covers of, of books and stuff. Uh-huh. I didn't mind it. It's annoying. It doesn't scream DC to me. It's not as iconic or as visible as the current logo. Especially if they start throwing this on their movies, it, you know, I don't see how that works on a movie screen. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. I don't understand it. I don't understand what they're trying to accomplish there. Yeah, but see, here's my thing. Like, didn't we bitch about the last DC logo when they unveiled it? I mean, I know no. we didn't have the show at the time, but I, say, I had no problem with the last DC logo. I liked it. I don't remember if I liked it or not. I, I'm still not sure I like it. I mean, I miss, you know, the, the DC logo I grew up with was the, the bullet or whatever. Yeah, no, and I like that one. Yeah, I understand companies like to rebrand every so often to, to keep their image fresh. I just don't understand this one because it, it, it Wayne's right. It doesn't say anything about comics to me. And maybe it's maybe that's just because they're moving to more of a media type of company. But I, it just doesn't it doesn't say anything to me. It looks more like a... Uh, you know, an office supply product logo. You know, it just it, it, staples. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Do you need a paper clip? Here you go. And it's the way that part of it peels off. It looks like they're selling transparencies or something. I mean, it looks when I look at it, first thing I think is small indie company. I don't think DC, one of the the big names. And I do think it's going to look good on the spine of hardbacks, but it's going to look horrible on a movie screen. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's animated, it might have something behind it or in front of it. Or, but in in all fairness, Wayne, all DC films look pretty horrible on the on the screen. <laughs> on screen. <laughs> <laughs> so really, the, not... the the logo is just going to match up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We better hope still... the next Batman doesn't suck. I'd say we've still got Batman coming. Yeah. That's like our only hope. Doesn't it? I mean, well, I mean, there's Superman, I guess, next year. No. And I have, I have, I have faith in Mr. Snyder that he's going to deliver a, a decent Superman movie. 
It'll at least be visually appealing. Oh my god, what's the over-under that the Superman movie's gonna suck? Like, how much money do I have to put down to get back my money? <laughs> that movie's gonna suck. It's gonna be I'm great. Zack Snyder, right you're gonna have lots more homoerotic Superman. And, uh, you know, I think Superman's gonna have his shirt off a lot. This and, is true, I've seen pre- preview pictures. Yeah. There is a shirtless Superman. And, uh, you know... I'm, you know, maybe he'll just be running around in the red underwear as opposed to anything else. You know, a la three hundred. So no, I think we're going to be good. Lots Great. of eye now I, now I have this whole scene stuck in my head. General Zod, why can't I quit you? <laughs> there was more testosterone in the three hundred that Superman's had in all five hundred issues of Superman. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I don't know. I have faith in Zack Snyder. I don't think I've seen a single one of his movies that I disliked. If Brandon Routh screams "This is Sparta" and kicks a hole through Doomsday's chest, I'm in then. But that that's what it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't hold your breath for that. Just I'm not. That out there. Especially since Brandon Routh isn't in it. Oh well. <laughs> Tim, are you have have you seen the internet lately? <laughs> I tend to avoid spoilers, Paul, because that's why I have you. That's true. No, Brandon Roth is not Superman. It's Henry Cavill, who was in The Immortals, which was kind of homoerotic, supposedly. See, Aaron's on the right track here. Yeah, no, I I think it's a fabulously gay Superman. I love it. It's going to be great. (laughs) Look, it's Superman! (laughs) (laughs) No, it'd be great. It'd be great. <laughs> I, I feel like you're being dishonest here. <laughs> I, I feel some facetiousness of this podcast. Does that come out this year? No, next year. Next oh. year. Twenty. They got the 2013 to beat their court deadline. Oh well, so okay. So if the Mayans are right, we don't have to see the abomination. <laughs> Check, and I'll get Avengers in. All kidding aside, I'm I'm looking forward to the Zack Snyder Superman. I am too, and I'm, I'm I am definitely looking forward to the Dark Knight Rises, of course. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they know how to make a Batman movie. They just don't know how to make any other movie. Well, they didn't for a while. <laughs> I mean, they, they they really didn't know how. No, to no, make a no. For they a while. knew how. They just chose not to. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, Tim Burton's Batman and his second movie were were great. I love those movies. I agree. It's those other movies that came after <laughs> before Chris <laughs> Nolan came along. And that was all, you know, Tom Schumacher. And, you know, by the way, fuck that guy. <laughs> well, at least we had the cartoons, right? I mean, we had cartoon movies and the Absolutely. cartoon movies never stopped being good. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. You know, starting with uh, what Mask of the Phantasm. Yep. Is that, is that right? Phantasm or Phantom? Phantasm. You are correct. Phantasm. Okay. I love that movie. And, I, you know, I remember watching that going, why... Why wasn't this the big production? Why don't they have these the guys writing this script on the actual Batman movies? <laughs> yeah, even the Batwoman one was good. That was the, one of the last ones they released that yeah. I didn't see for years until after the series was over. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I've seen a when they started doing the Batman animated series. I don't think I, I don't think I've seen a bad Batman animated feature. Yeah, no. the worst one was Sub Zero, and that was still that better was actually than, good. Yeah, that yeah, was still yeah. better than uh, most of the cartoons yeah, that were I like Sub-Zero. at the time. I think the only one I didn't like, and it's not in that same chronology. 
No, I like Batman versus. I love Batman versus Dracula. I don't like Batman Year One, which is their most recent one. I have not seen that one. It is not that great, and I, it, know, it's a good I film. It's the it voice either. work. I haven't seen it either, but what I've heard is that it was boring. That they didn't add anything to the story at all. So if you've read the comic, you don't get anything out of it. But I haven't seen it yet, so yeah, now, is it, it is, very is it much based like off Frank Miller's book. Correct. Okay. It is very much like Frank Miller's work. I mean, it, it is very close to the original source material. My main problem with it, honestly, is the voice work on it. Um, it's just not very good. The guy who plays Batman is one of the guys from the OC. Huh. <laughs> and they just, he, like the, for the, he gets okay towards the end, but the first half of the film, it just sounds terrible. He's one of the guys from Party of Five. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I, yeah, I, I, Dawson from Dawson Creek <laughs> voices Batman. Batman. I don't know. They've they've had some odd. Get cats in the car, before. Pacey. We've got crime to fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, what is his name? Kevin uh, Conroy. Yeah, Kevin Conroy. Sorbo. Vo- <laughs> voicing <laughs> the uh, animated series Batman. I really set an awfully high bar. I mean. I, most of the time I watch those Batman movies going, you know, Batman animated films and going, why didn't you get Kevin Conroy for this? Because, you know, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, I mean, he is the voice of animated Batman for me. Well, and you know what the sad thing is? Almost every voice was perfect in the Batman animated series. Uh-huh. You know, uh, not just him, but, you know, you had Mark. Oh, Hamill, yeah. Of course. But like Rachel Ghoul. Yeah. Uh, I believe that was David Warner mm-hmm. and, and Alfred. Like, I can't. Any other Alfred just doesn't sound right to me. Yeah. That just sounded like perfect Alfred. I mean, every voice in that was just perfectly cast. Commissioner Gordon. Mm-hmm. No, the, 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 there was just such an immense amount of talent uh, in the Batman animated series. I, I just, I, I, you know, the artistic direction, the stories, the actors. I just, just fantastic show. And why don't I own that series on DVD? I don't know. They have a nice slipcase complete series set have they done it in blu-ray yet no that's frustrating but the problem with that one is that there's they they would have to go back to the original negatives because there's a lot of dust like if you watch some of the older episodes yeah there's a lot of dust on them um so they'd have to go back and clean all that up if they wanted to put it on blu-ray which i believe they it's worth the effort because i would buy that in a heart oh yeah and there's tons of us out there who would you know, I still remember watching that very first episode. It was uh, they released it on a Sunday, uh-huh. and it was prime time. Fir- yep, prime yep. time. The first episode was the Man Bat one, and I remember watching it and just being blown away. Thinking, you know, at at the time, I was thinking that you know this is the closest to live action that we've ever had with a cartoon. I've gone back and watched the episode since and wondering what the hell was I thinking. <laughs> but at the time, I mean, the comic book comparison we had was, you know, the X-Men and the Spider-Man series that were all brighter. And this was just a completely different style and came out of nowhere. And just, yeah, well, they embraced the tone of the comic. It was great. I, I just thoroughly enjoy the animated series. And it was its own thing. That was also nice that it wasn't trying to be the comic. You know, it was trying to embrace that darker tone that, uh, you know, 80s Batman had gotten back to. But it, then it went on to be its own thing. And I just I love that series. Love that series. OK, so let's uh, go ahead and get that on Blu-ray, Paul. Yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. But Thank let's you. talk about something that's not 20 years old. Well, hey, uh, have you seen uh, the Marvel's latest animated feature, uh, Thor Tales of Asgard? Um, 
I don't know if I have. I I, is it any good? It's okay. Wait, yes, I did see that one. It's okay. With, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in the same conversation as Batman, but mm-hmm. I, I, was, I wasn't disappointed. I, I, I picked it up. I haven't watched it yet. It, it, it's not bad now that I think about it. I mean, the problem is the Marvel animated features just – they're just okay. I've never seen one that knocked my socks off. Yeah. You know, yeah. I like Hulk versus. I liked Young Avengers or I liked whatever. I like one part of Hulk versus. I didn't like yeah. Hulk versus. You know, but in general, and I hated the Ultimate Avengers ones. I liked the first Ultimate Avengers. I did not care for the second Ultimate Avengers. Well, so, what didn't you like about Hulk versus Tim? The fact that Thor didn't kick Hulk's ass harder. But Hulk is Hulk. I mean, Thor can't kick his ass. No, no, I'm biased. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I'm biased. I'm biased towards Hulk, so. I I want to see Hulk pound him. Well, then you probably liked it. Well, you were yeah, probably I, watching the wrong movies. <laughs> My problem with Hulk versus was the uh, animation and the Wolverine uh, story. Yeah, the animation and the Wolverine story was bad, but Deadpool was so wonderful in that cartoon that it made up for it for me. Deadpool was a shining moment. I just needed Hulk to be – You know, if you're going to do an animated Hulk – there's no reason not to have Hulk be just monstrously big, you know, and and demonstrate him the matter he gets, the bigger and stronger he gets, and they just didn't capture that. It yeah, seemed the like Thor a half of it was huge. much stronger than the Wolverine yeah. half of it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you know, Marvel's gotten better on their uh, on their animated features, but you know, DC completely owns them on uh, on, on their animated features because you know when you like under the Red Hood. You know, you watch that, you're like, they should have released this at the theater, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it's that strong. Whereas the the Marvel stuff very often feels like Saturday morning TV to me. Yeah. The problem with the DC stuff, I think, um, is that as much as I love Batman, mm-hmm. they seem to go back to the Batman well. And I, I, know, I, I know it's because of sales. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know Super Batman is basically the only one that sells. But, I mean, there have been some really good ones that were not Batman. You know, I really enjoyed the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I, I just the, watched that, Paul, and I was blown away by it. I, I didn't expect to like it, and it was good. Well, surprisingly enough, that the New Frontier feature was good. The New Frontier feature actually made me go out and buy the comic yeah. version of that, and the comic version wasn't as good as the movie. And the uh, the. Uh, Green Lantern features have been really strong, which is yeah. surprising. You know, and, and and again, you know, it's kind of like watching those Batman features back in the '90s. You know, uh, where you're like, "Wow, why didn't they make this the live action movie?" I kind of did the same thing with the Green Lantern films, yeah. the Green Lantern animated features. Going, why didn't y'all take a look at the successful scripts that you had here and compare it to the crap that you generated for your live action feature? Yeah, have you guys seen the Superman Shazam one? Yes, that's really good. Yeah. It's, that was really good. The Superman and Shazam part is just is it was very short, less than an hour. Yeah. But all of those shorts after that, characters that oh, yeah. will never get their own full, you know, feature length. Some of those were really good and dark. And last I looked, that streams on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if, if you've got Netflix, you can go out there and watch that thing right now. Not right now because you need to finish listening to this show. But yes, you know, shortly thereafter. <laughs> So you know what else is a superhero? What is a superhero? The Shadow. The Shadow. Boom. So Dynamite announced this week that they will be producing a new Shadow series written by Garth Ennis. And I got to say, I am elated. 
at this well, news. I know that you are a big Shadow fan. I'm a big Shadow fan. I'm a big Garth Ennis fan. Uh-huh. Um, so you combine the two. I just think it's awesome. I, no, I, I love Pulp Heroes yeah. to begin with. I just can't see him writing a Shadow that I would enjoy. I mean, I guess the problem is I'm a huge Shadow fan of the radio series. I've never read a Shadow comic that I enjoyed. So I don't I don't know what it is, but just the comics version of him has never captured me. But when I think Garth Ennis, I think over the top violence and and the Shadow is a violent character, but it doesn't seem Garth Ennis kind of violence. Well, I you know here's the thing, I, and I have liked previous iterations of the Shadow, like when DC did it by uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and mm-hmm. Howard Chaik and did a run, and you know I I I'm, I think the Shadow is a very hard character to write well. Kind of like the Phantom in that way. Another pulp hero that I love, but it's hard to find good Phantom comics. Yeah, I agree with you there. But, um, you know, I gotta say, I don't think Garth Ennis has the deviance that he used to. <laughs> like, I, I think he still writes violent comic books. You know, we read Jennifer Blood, Aaron and I, and, you know, I enjoyed it, and it was violent. But, you know, I don't think he's written a book where anyone fucked a chicken in, like, ten years. As you opposed know, to Paul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, I, and I know he did Cross, and I know Cross was pretty jacked up. But I think that was, like, it. I think, like, he seemed to have gotten it out of his system then. Because now he writes, like, well, a lot of He's still stuff. doing Cross, though. Cross is still coming out, miniseries after miniseries. Yeah, and... that's not him. It's written by David Lapham now. Ah, I haven't been reading any of the newer Cross stuff. I just read the original series. So, Paul, are you complaining? Are you saying that Garth Ennis isn't isn't scratching that deviant itch that you have, you chicken panda fucker, you? <laughs> no, I, I actually think Garth Ennis is a better writer now than he was. You know, and, and I love Preacher. Preacher is one of my favorite comics of all time. However, I think sometimes he got lost in the sexual deviance of it and focused on that rather than on the story. And I think now he's a better writer because he focuses on the story first. And so I'm I'm looking forward to his take on the shadow. I hope yeah. it doesn't suck because I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. God damn it! Every book from Dynamite that I've read sucks. <laughs> and I, 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 I are ever or this week? <laughs> almost ever because I like I tried their Highlander series. I hated it. I tried Buck Rogers, Tars. I mean not Tar. Uh, Zorro, Lone Ranger. Uh, almost every series they have, Green Hornet. I just I have not cared for any of them. No, wait a minute. That's not that's not right because we liked Green Hornet at the beginning of that run. Yeah, for the first three issues or something. Now, yeah, and, and Aaron's loving Bionic Woman. Uh, Bionic Man. Oh, you're not getting the Bionic Woman one too. Bionic Woman hasn't come out yet. Ah, but I will. Um, <laughs> uh, I am. I, I there are several Dynamite titles that I really enjoy, um, and I. Honestly, Paul, I think that that if you were to pick up Green Hornet in trade, I think you'd dig it. I think what what we had a problem with in single issue format was how long it was taking to get to the point. And maybe that's I mean, you know, I shouldn't make a blanket statement like I don't like any of Dynamite books. I agree. You shouldn't do that. (laughs) Because then we'll never get on their press list. (laughs) But and especially because I enjoy some of the Dynamite books. I, I mean, I never talk about the ones that I read. You know, on the podcast, like the boys, but there are some pretty good dynamite books. You know, the Dresden File ones are pretty good too. What I find, and, and I'm enjoying Vampirella. I've started picking up Vampirella digitally, and uh, you have not. I have. Oh my god! 
I well, you know, they had a ninety nine cent sale uh, over the holidays, and so I picked up you know s- several issues with uh, her and Dracula, and it was very enjoyable. You know, I'm I'm getting a kick out of Jennifer Blood. Um, I'm you know as as uh, Tim said, I'm reading Bionic Man, and I love Bionic Man. Uh, and I will be picking up Bionic Woman. I think one of the things that that I find challenging about Dynamite is all the variant covers they do, and how they spin off. Like for instance, uh, one of my one of the the uh, titles that I'm a little ambivalent about is their Kirby Genesis because I love the artwork in that book, but the story is a mess. I have no idea what's going on in the story. I continue to pick up Kirby Genesis, but it's spun out into all of these side titles and I'm, I'm not picking up any of those because, you know, if I don't understand what's going on in Kirby Genesis, I don't know how the spinoff titles are going to help me, you know, despite the fact that I'm just completely enamored with the artwork in those books. Um, they they did the same thing with, um, uh, remember their superpowers project that they uh-huh. did with Alex Ross now that was those were public domain characters that Alex Ross and uh, I forget who was writing that with him uh, were spinning into you know new stories and the interior artwork was terrible, terrible and the story was even worse. Hated the Superpowers Project, which killed me because I wanted to like it because I like the characters that they were playing with. Oh, I was uh, I enjoyed it when it first started. Mm-hmm. Up until I don't remember which one it was, but I bought the first because they were releasing them as one shots, basically leading up into regular series and things right. like that. And I bought them for a little while, really enjoying them until at one point when it just got so convoluted and I dropped all of them because I suddenly found I wasn't caring anymore. Yeah, they had me hooked in the beginning, though. I The first yeah. four or five of those uh, one shots, I loved it. Yeah. And I love the story they were trying to tell. It's just didn't seem to – I don't know what it was, but they really lost me. And I quit caring and started hating all those books and dropped them all. There's a part of me that feels like it suffers a lot from what Kirby Genesis had in that they were introducing too many characters all at one time. You that know? might have been it because it seemed to get overly convoluted quickly. Yeah, because I mean I was I was excited about Superpowers Project you know, and the way they were handling those public domain characters. Uh it just it just got too much too fast. Well, we might not have public domain characters much longer. What do you mean, Tim? What are you saying? See reference show notes. <laughs> Subject hard. <laughs> Paul, help. All right. So, you know, this is this is from Paul. Leading Cool, and I've seen it in a couple of different that the so let's explain this a little bit. In the U.S., anything created before 1922 is public domain. In Europe, it's 70 years after the death of the author. Um, and there are cases where there are conflicting um, between the two. Um, like Sherlock Holmes, uh, work by H.G. Wells and Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those, those authors have not been dead for a full 70 years. However, their creations were before 1922 so in the u.s they're public domain overseas they are not um now it appears that the u.s may be leaning towards abandoning the 1922 provision um and you know in that foreign created or published works from 1922 or before that are not in public domain in europe and on those 
may affect their status as public domain in the U.S. Now, you know that that's not going to create tons of issues for, with some of the U.S. stuff, but you know one of, some of the most commonly uh, created, commonly used characters that were created, you know, overseas are uh, things like War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. uh, John Carter of Mars, right. uh, all the characters from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, you know, some of those characters from Project Superpowers. I mean, a lot of that stuff was created, you know, before 1922, you know, but still is not public domain overseas. So I think we're going to see some, you know, if, if the U.S. does relax that provision, I'm, I'm curious to see what how that's going to affect. Because, I mean, there are a ton of comics out now. I mean, there was a big push for it. I guess roughly about five years ago, mm-hmm. of using those public domain characters and trying to revamp them for modern day. Right. And you know we have a lot of comics out there that are like that. Well, you know, you got that whole you know Project Superpowers that we were just talking about. You know, uh, and you know uh, Dynamite just came back out with you know uh, their Tarzan reboot. I mean, I'd imagine I, Tarzan would fall into that provision as well. Mm-hmm. Because uh, Tarzan, no, maybe. Was, I don't know if Tarzan was before 1922. I think it was. It was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and, and and I think it does fall into that into that range. Hmm. So I mean, it's 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 an interesting it's interesting to see that the the rights could revert. You know that they've been in the public domain for a period of time. Uh, you know, and that they could just roll back to the original creators. Which you know, to a certain extent, is great, but to a certain extent, it's kind of like. Those creators are a lot of the creators we're talking about are dead. Yeah. Well, and you know the 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 provision was designed so that you know it protects the creator you know during his lifetime and his immediate heirs, but not to have these these you know stories and and you know intellectual properties being owned out into perpetuity. You know. Well, and it makes you wonder what they would do with titles like the uh, the superhero projects and things like that, yeah. where they're currently being published by these other companies. Mm-hmm. You know, I figure there's probably a uh, grandfathered in clause or something where they wouldn't have to pay any royalties for you know the issues that have already been printed. But would this kill those titles? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Well, to a certain extent, it's kind of the same conversation we had way back near the beginning of our podcast. Not today. I mean, like, <laughs> when we first started the podcast about the Superman rights with the Schusters. Right. You know, like, if I mean, those rights do refer back revert back to the original creators, you know, what does that mean? If Hearkening back to the good old days when it was Aaron and Paul, two tin cans and a lot of string. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, and, you know, then, then we upgraded to walkie-talkies. Right. In the tree houses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Way back in the day. Well, if only we knew an attorney that specialized in intellectual property law. Hey, Mm. you know, way back when we started (laughs) this podcast, we did interview someone like that. Yeah, Jeff Gerber, who now has his own podcast called Law of the Geek, in which he talks about things just like this. Huh. Huh. You know, I know it sounds like we planned this conversation, but we totally (laughs) didn't. (laughs) Other than we wrote it down in the chat room and the show notes yeah. you know don't yeah. show people behind the curtain tim yeah we're editing that out tim <laughs> yeah you know what we did plan to talk about new comics oh paul I, yes you sir. know if you didn't live you know 1500 miles away i would have come over to your house last night and punched you in the throat 
<laughs> so, Aaron, <laughs> I, I am. I was so mad at you last night. I was like, God damn it, Paul. <laughs> I, oh, Paul. Paul, all this week. Did you read Batman number five? No, Paul, I'm not reading Batman anymore. Oh, you got to read Batman number five. Batman number five is the best thing ever. <laughs> Batman number five. Oh, Jesus. What a great book. I, you know, I could burn all my other books. If the house was on fire, I would rescue Batman number five. You've got to read Batman number five. So last night I'm reading my books and I finish early. And I'm like, eh, I've still got about half of this cigar left. I can't go back in the house. Let me download Batman number five. And so I sat there with my Comixology app, which starts out just fine. It's a pretty book. And then the pages start doing weird stuff. And it's flipping upside down and off to the left and off to the right. And because you're reading it on the goddamn iPad, you can't straighten it to see you know where it is. And so I spend some time wondering, is my app fucked up? I reboot my my iPad, come back up, same problem. And then I realize, no, no, this is how they printed it in the book. The pages are upside down. The pages are off to the left. They're off to the right. Fuck you, Paula Ponte. That's all I'm saying. Yes. So I'll owe me two ninety nine. <laughs> so let me explain. So first of all, I did recommend Batman number five this week on Twitter, but I specifically said, specifically said, don't read it digitally. Yeah, yeah that's not what you told me in email. <laughs> uh, I specifically said on Twitter, don't read it digitally. Yeah, like the I follow Bat you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so in Batman number five, Batman has discovered the Court of Owls, and he is now trapped in a labyrinth underneath Gotham City. And he's been there for a week, and he's going insane. And so the book kind of does all this topsy-sturvy stuff by there are upside-down pages, pages that you have to read um, – pages that you have to flip the book for not you know because they are horizontal instead of vertical um that kind of thing like the book kind of spirals just like he does just kind of like the labyrinth and so you know I, it is I, I i knew for a fact that you would lose the effect digitally but as a print comic it's amazing and it is absolutely amazing but i was wondering how you know i was like well if they do it on digital because i haven't read it digitally um, but I was wondering, you know, if they do it digital, are they going to straighten all the panels, which you'll lose the effect. But apparently they don't straighten the panels. They keep them upside down. But you can't flip the comic book like you can. Right. On, a, you know, on a print copy. So thus, Aaron had a very frustrating reading experience with Batman number five, completely different from mine. Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm going to punch you in the neck next time I see you. Just saying. <laughs> so, I, so I take it regardless of the uh, the the disgruntled uh, reading experience, you you didn't care for the book. I you know honestly, Paul, uh, I thought it was a beautiful, beautifully drawn book. I did not understand what you were so excited about. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It reminded me a lot of, um, you know, one of my favorite Batman stories is called Batman the Cult from way back when it's got art by bernie Wrightson. i don't remember who wrote it and uh this reminded but me a lot of that good yeah can, you, can you imagine the conversation between between the creative team and the layout guy it's like okay here's what i need you to do i need you to quadruple your work because it's going to be really cool and the layout guy'd be like how about you just suck a dick buddy <laughs> <laughs> and i just looked the, the cult was written by uh jim starlin but that, I thought this that book is was one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. 
Oh, same here. And this story reminded me a lot of it, and I thought it was fantastic. I thought the art was perfect. I loved the tricks that they did with the pages. Again, in print, <laughs> I, I think it is a fantastic book, and it is more than worth picking up in print. Oh, it's just like Office Space, too, because I bet you got caught, like, got 15 calls from eight different bosses. Yes, I know the issue was printed backwards. No, that wasn't a mistake. <laughs> You know, I, if there's a way to lock – I'm looking at Comixology right now. If there's a way to lock it, to lock the image on your screen so it doesn't you know, rotate, I, I don't know where it is. Because you know, Comic Zeal, uh, which allows you to read the PDFs, CBRs, and CBZs, has that function oh, yeah. where you can lock it in place. But comics, I, if it's in Comixology, I don't see it. You know, this is God's way of punishing you for reading digital comics. Yeah. I, hope, I hope you've learned your lesson. Yeah, I have well, learned my lesson. If it's any consolation, Aaron got even with me. Not really. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, really. Not really, no. Because Aaron said you should read Lord of the Jungle this week from you Dynamite. You should read Lord of the Jungle. It's one slim dollar. Yeah, it was one wasted dollar. How How is it wasted, Paul? How How did Lord of the Jungle not meet your expectations? It was essentially Disney's Tarzan. But it was essentially like Edgar what? Rice Burroughs' Tarzan. No, it was. I, I get that. Like, I get that, but I thought it was stupid. And I thought half the book being in ape language, rah rah rah, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, ah. That, literally, that's that is half of the book. And then the baby ooh. talks like that too. So it's like, and it's just. I thought it was crap. I thought it was. I, I you know, if I want to read Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan, I'll look at every goddamn iteration of Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan that's been published in the last eighty years. I was hoping for something new. This it literally is nothing new. I I will absolutely agree with you that I did not this this was a one dollar for the origin of Tarzan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will absolutely agree that there was really nothing fresh in the book. The only oh. thing that they had were they they had like, and they glossed over it, but they mentioned they're like these aren't men and they aren't apes. What are they like? Is there some type of like science fiction shit going on here? Right. Because that wasn't in the original Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan. He was actually raised by apes. He wasn't raised by like weird mutant ape men. Well, but he's those weird mutant ape men are different from the apes that came and got him. Correct. So you know, it's it's a different faction. But no, I just I I I thought you're right. There, I thought there was nothing new, and I didn't care for the art at all. To be honest with you, I thought the art was was very slipshod for a book that was supposed to be like this high profile release, especially Mm. under such a beautiful cover. Yeah, the, so it sounds like that uh, Aaron made you buy a dollar book that was a complete waste of time. I'm really glad you've never done that, Paul. <coughs> Spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I'd like of, to, I'd like oh, to point ahead. out the difference here. Paul made me buy a two ninety nine book. I made him buy a dollar book. You owe me a buck ninety nine, Aponte. <laughs> All right. So, so what did you think of Lord of the Jungle? Which I guess they can't call Tarzan because of rights issues. I, I enjoyed Lord of the Jungle. Um, I, I didn't think it was great, but it, it's enough for me to pick up the next issue. Yeah, I thought that – you know, I was like – what I really wish they hadn't done – and Dynamite tends to do this. I think Dynamite is bad about overextending the origin stories. 
you know, they spend too much time just drawing that crap out. What I'd really like to see is them telling me an action story with the main character in the first issue and then, you know, dropping in pieces and parts of the origin story. So I'm not mired in what's the character going to be. I want to see what the character is and then tell me how he got there. Yeah, and I think that would have – and again, I, this is an issue I have with the Dynamite books Yeah, is that they – they always go in a linear fashion. Almost yes. always. No, I, Phantom I, was the same way. Green Hornet. Green Bionic Hornet. Man is the same way. The difference is, is I'm enjoying the journey on Bionic Man, whereas I didn't on some of those other titles. Yeah. I mean, you get seven, eight, ten issues in sometimes, especially with Green Hornet since yeah. it's the Kevin Smith thing. Yeah. You know, where you don't see the character in action. Um, you know, and I, I, I love the journey. You know, it it it, it has proven great in some other comics ultimate comic spider-man and things like that yeah the difference is and ultimate comic spider-man did something new with the character yeah whereas this one it's the same journey i've already seen yeah i mean we've seen this journey get get i agree i I think i think one of the questions they needed to ask is how can we show this differently how can we show people a fresh lord of the jungle that they've not previously seen and uh you know we've not been provided that here again i enjoyed it uh, particularly for a dollar, um, I'll pick up the next issue and hope that it, that it uh, improves. But that is my that is a a frequent criticism I have around the Dynamite books is that they're very linear in their storytelling. Um, I would rather you show me who the character is and then tell me on the backside how he got there. Yeah. So. Oh well. Well. Unk ungawa unk unk unk. There we go. That's my review. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Aaron's review for for the eight men listening to the podcast. Um, so uh, speaking of new storytelling and fresh ideas, Daredevil number eight came out this week, a book that we have loved since the beginning. Um, this is the second part of the Devil in the Details crossover with Spider-Man. Uh, this one written by Mark Wade, thankfully a different artist. We have Kano as the artist on this issue, um, as opposed to Emma Rios, who I think was the artist on the Spider-Man issue. Mm-hmm. Kano, so, the, the villain from Mortal Kombat? Yes! <laughs> Same nice. guy. Same guy. Yeah, he draws with his bionic eye. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's lasers. Yeah, yeah really. So, the, Wayne hasn't talked in a little while. Wayne, what did you think <laughs> of Daredevil number eight? Because you're not you know, a Daredevil reader regularly, are you? No, but I wish I was now at this point. I wish I would have jumped on board in the beginning. I, I'm such a big Mark Wade fan, I should have. Yes, you should have. So I want to get some of the, you know, some of the issues I've missed. There's, this is only issue eight. So there's only seven I've missed. There's probably a trade for that, and just see what he's done with the character. Because like, so the writing is really good. This is the first of my art rants of the day, though, and I will say this is better than the art from the first part. You know, part one of this crossover was just god awful art that, you know, was ranting about. This art is still not good. But it is at least better. And at least Black Cat looks sexy in some of the pictures because she didn't in the first part. But it's a really good story. I just wish they would get some better artists on this crossover. See, All I right, absolutely... Wayne, I just I just wanna I just wanna warn you. Umberto Ramos does not have a fatality, Kano does. Okay? <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> I absolutely love the artwork on this book. I, I I was so pleased when I opened it up and I and I saw the the Kano uh, pages. I was like, ah, oh, thank God! I I I loved the artwork in the book. Now it's not I, as good as the regular series artists, the Marcos Martin, the Paulo right. Rivera, but I think it's it's a serviceable fill in 
substitute should those two ever get behind. See, one of the things I've noticed is I've never cared about Daredevil. He's never been a character that's ever interested me. This Daredevil, the basically the voice of the character is not like any Daredevil I've ever read. This is a this is a different take on him, and I'm really enjoying it. I, the kind of Daredevil that just hop into bed with Black Cat that. They actually are really playing up the the no fear aspect of the character too. There were pages in this book, panels in this book that were laugh out loud funny. The scene where uh, uh, Daredevil and Black Cat are making out on the roof, and Spider Man walks up to it and he's like, "I think this is my supervillain origin." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was like the panel of the week. Really, I just. I mean, seriously, laugh out loud funny. Uh, the scene where uh, Daredevil walks into the room of the bad guys and they kick on the holographic generator and says, you know, he can't hit what he can't see. And then there's just that little bitty smile on, on Daredevil's uh, pa- face on the inset panel. And then the next scene is all of those bad guys are just knocked out. <laughs> yeah, I love that they didn't show that fight. It was yeah. funnier because they didn't show it. Yeah, it's just, and you see him in the background as he's, you know, uh, getting the device, and you know they're just all unconscious. I just thought that was hysterical. I really enjoyed this book. I did too. I thought it was a fantastic two-parter. You know, Spider-Man yeah. is really not in this issue very much. Yeah. Well, um, and I like the, you know, I, I we all had trouble with the artwork in the Spider-Man portion of the story. But I like how in the Spider-Man issue, it tells it from Spider-Man's point of view. And in the Daredevil issue, it tells it from Daredevil's point of view. And yeah. the, the story, it very organically makes that split, you know? Yes. And it, considering it's the same writer. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't just do a Daredevil issue in Spider-Man. Right. He did a Spider-Man issue. And now he's done a Daredevil issue. And they, you know, yes, they, they have a similar feel. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just because they're both fun books. Yeah. But, you know, you can tell, you know, th- th- it is two different characters' voices. And this is a Daredevil book all the way with yeah. Spider-Man guest starring. And yeah. I just, I thought it was a fantastic way to do it. I I am I love this book. And uh, you know, I've loved it from, from the beginning. But this is yeah. definitely one of the, even probably one of the, the most fun issues of Daredevil because it has so much humor. Mm-hmm. Whereas the title's usually just fun, this issue had humor. Yeah. Well, And while we might not agree with the art, I think we all agree that Foggy has the worst timing ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. Well, and I, I particularly loved in the Spider-Man issue, you know, Spider-Man's like, God, this is why you don't work with Daredevil. And in yeah. the Daredevil issue, Daredevil's like, God, this is why you don't work with Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. He never shuts up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought it, I, I the story was a hit in both books. The artwork really worked for me in this issue. Um, I really dug it. I think this was a, a successful crossover, and if only all crossovers could be so good. True. Now I will say I have one qualm about this crossover. Tell me okay. your qualm, Paul. My qualm in this crossover is that Spider-Man is very upset. After the breakup of Carly Cooper, he's lonely. He's, you know, he's he's kind of not in a good place, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in Amazing Spider-Man number six seventy-eight, from the very first page, Spider-Man is like, "Life is grand. I love living in New York. My life is awesome. Yay!" And it's like, wait, just last issue you were saying how depressed you were. <laughs> I I I, th- I thought that was a little jarring. Because mm-hmm. I was like, and I get it. One's Mark Wade, one's Dan Slott. Um, I, I guess Dan Slott's, you know, kind of moving past the Carly Cooper thing. Like, okay, we got over the the breakup stuff. You know, it's time to to make Peter happy again. That kind of thing. But I, I thought the characterization from one issue to the next just 
it, it was a little maybe they should have communicated that a little more yeah I think it's a given that I dislike the art on Amazing Spider-Man as well. This is part two of my uh, my art rant for the week. I really missed the guy we had covering the art for, well, before the Daredevil crossover. Back to Umberto Ramos, which I know you guys love this guy's art. And I love just this guy. I don't get it. I really don't. No, I thought he did a fantastic job in this issue. Too. Yeah, I thought he burned up this issue. I thought it was great. I thought it wasn't too, you know, the characters weren't too... You know, some of the issues with Humberto Ramos are just the way the characters bend sometimes, and sometimes he goes too extreme yeah. with like feet look at and stuff the like pic- that. Look at the picture of Peter standing in front of Madame Web when she's in the her street clothes in the alley. That is, it doesn't look anatomically possible. His waist is tiny, little slim, about as wide as his leg, and he, the position he's in just doesn't look like any position anyone would ever stand in ever. Oh, well, I stand in that position all the time. I picture I'm Ricochet sta- in that position right now. I'm standing in that position right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Putting on my Spider-Man costume. That's right. I thought it was funny that Madam Web showed up and she's like, you know, I'm sorry I'm not in my costume, but I am <laughs> Madam Web. And she shows up in, the jeans and a, in jeans and a t-shirt. Uh-huh. And Peter's like, um, not used to seeing you like this. <laughs> but, no, I thought it was a... I, so, in Spider-Man 678... This is uh, the first of a two-parter where Spider-Man goes forward in time uh, through an experiment at Horizon Labs and finds that, you know, in just a scant couple of hours, the uh, New York City will be destroyed. And so he has to stop that before it happens. And I, I thought it was a I thought it was a fun issue. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in terms of the artwork, that two page spread on the title page where Peter's walking to work, you know, and you've got all the different insets of him, you know, working the crowd and whatnot. I just, I, I think Umberto Ramos killed this art and the story I thought was, was interesting and fun. You know, uh, Peter Parker, uh, goes to, goes to work. One of his fellow colleagues at the lab builds a time door that carries you 24 hours into the future. And of course, Spider-Man kills tomorrow. I dug it. That was a good book. <laughs> it, uh, you know, it's a Spider-Man story, and I love Dan Slott, but it's this is a very different Spider-Man story than I think he's done in his entire run. Uh-huh. You know, he's he's always done like big flashy villains and things like that. This was just kind of like a, I don't know. They, it, I, I just it was just fun. It was simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just kind of nice after you know because we've been crossovers and Spider Islands and things like that. But this was just a fun book. Yep. I I don't know. I I I enjoyed it, but. I, I don't think it was as fun as you're saying, Paul, just because of the fact that it's like the stakes in this are like, oh, New York is gone. I'm like, can we have one where the stakes aren't so high after Spider Island? Yeah, I've, I kind of thought this was mediocre at best, especially compared to the the crossover with Daredevil. I thought that was so much better than this issue. Well, I think maybe that's why I like it so much is that it's so different from the crossover with Daredevil. I mean, I got to read, I got to read a couple of Spider-Man books this week. You know, the Daredevil uh, team up, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, and then you know we're going to talk about Ultimate Ultimate Comics, all new Spider-Man here shortly. Uh, Spider-Man, and each one of them tells me something completely different about Spider-Man. Um, I dug it. I, I thought this book was a lot of fun, and you know, it's what I like is how limiting. Uh, it is on Spider-Man because, you know, he's about to go get the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and, you know, whoever, you know, even Alpha Flight maybe. <laughs> and, 
you know, he gets told by Madam Web, oh, no, you can't do it. This is all you today. You know, which is right up Spider-Man's alley because he always has the weight of the world on his shoulders. I thought this was great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, it was fun. I, and it's time travel, which I know turns a lot of people off. But I don't know. I, it, I don't see time travel very much nowadays. So I liked it. I liked it a lot. As now, did I, Paul. As did I. But did you like it as much as Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number six? So here's the third part of my art rant. Here we go. And this was the worst Spider-Man art out of all of the three books that I read this week. And if there's one thing that you can say about Ultimate titles in general, it's always been that they're pretty books. You know, they're known for having the best artists on there and having this, you know, really good art. And this issue didn't have that at all. I mean, the story was good. But, you know, I've realized as I was reading it that I hadn't read issue... uh, issue five so i bought it digitally and that made the art look even worse in here because i'm comparing it to the you know hundred times better art in issue five i don't know what it was this week but every spider-man book i picked up and read the art seemed to get progressively worse finishing up with this one which was horrible um i loved the art in this book (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought the I thought the, the it was certainly a shift from what we've had in previous books and style, but uh, I thought the art was fantastic. I loved how you had such a different feel in what was going on in Mexico City versus what was going on in New York. I love uh, the way Chris Somney draws Spider-Man's costume, um, and I love the movement that Spider-Man has. I mean, I think the the panels are are lovingly choreographed. Um, I thought the you know you had these tremendous action scenes uh, between the Prowler and the bad guy in Mexico City, and then you had these very nice uh, warm scenes between uh, uh, Miles and his mom back in Brooklyn. I, I thought this book was great. I, I loved every panel of this book. I forgot you know, I, that Chris Somney was going to be the artist. On, oh yeah, uh, I, I really wondered about some of the panels when you're looking at the faces. When it focuses on one character, the faces are fine. But when there's more than one character on a panel, suddenly all the faces go, you know, no detail and flat and horrible. <laughs> it's like we read two different books, Wayne. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't get that at all. I mean, I, I, see, I see lots of action in the lights and the darks. I see uh, uh, a lot of detail when I say detail, a lot of characterization, I should say, in each one of the characters. Each one of them is distinct. I, I love the use of the colors in this book. Uh, I just, I, I really dug it. The conversation with his mom was the only part of it that I didn't think the art was horrible on. I mean, you when you open up the, the book and you see, you know, the Prowler walking into Mexico City, you, I mean, you just hate those pages? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, very see, much I, mean, so. I just love it. I, there, there is so much atmosphere on those pages. And then it gets worse when you actually see Spider-Man on the street and you look at the the faces of the people standing there watching that just look ridiculous. They look like something you'd find in a Garfield comic. Wow. I I, I just I, – I am stunned that you and I have such uh, different opinions on this because I absolutely love – I love the street scene. I love the uh, you know the movement that Spider-Man has. I just I, – I dig it. But I do have to say, when I grabbed uh, issue five off of Comixology, that was possibly the best issue of the entire series, and that I was, uh, I was 
upset that I had missed it. I'm going to have to go find the print version of it, too, because I don't want to be missing a print version. But I uh, I didn't expect Nick Fury to find out who the Spider-Man was quite so quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jessica Drew is my favorite Ultimate character right now. I wish she had her own title. So an issue that was fairly focused on her also got me excited. I, I left that one wide open. I'm glad no one jumped on it. <laughs> Well, I I think uh, Ultimate Comics All New Spider Man number six was a huge win. I loved the book. Yeah, I like the book. The writing was still good. I'm I really enjoy this Spider Man. I like how he's different. I think we saw a lot more of that in issue five. I mean, this issue is suffering for me because I read five and I think five was so much better. But it's still it was still good and I'm still enjoying the title. I just didn't like the art in the issue. All right. Well, I don't know how to get us out of this over to Wolverine and uh, his X-Men number one. So imagine clever transition. <laughs> so I, uh, I I was, uh, you know, I was hearkening back to the conversation regarding Avengers versus X-Men. And I sort of, you know, I, I like the X-Men. The problem I've had with the X-Men is that I, I don't know which one to buy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, bu- I'm not I'm not buying four titles. So I I hit up the I hit up the comic book shop guy and I said, "Do you read the, do you read all these?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, which one's the best?" And he said he definitely thought Wolverine and the X Men was the best one. So uh, you know, there's a few of these that have been out, and but I decided just to pick up number one. Um, and this guy, I don't know, Paul, when this guy came out, it had to be four or five months ago. Yeah, roughly. I think they're on. Well, I think about yeah, four months ago because I think they're just issue four just came out like a week or two ago. So I'm, I don't know. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. Uh, the book revolves around Wolverine bringing back, and I think we talked about this a little bit. But Wolverine bringing back the you know Xavier School for gifted youths, um, with him and Kitty Pride in charge. And uh, you know, there was there was some fun moments. I'm not I'm not digging the art style, but I know that the new the the one that just came out has a new. Yeah, I will say artist. you know, Chris Bacalo is an acquired taste. He's the artist on the first three issues. Um, it, it's sad because Wolverine and the X Men number one is the worst issue of the run so far. Yeah. Um, it literally every issue has gotten progressively better since issue one. Uh, you know, I, I think I had a weak start, but when I heard that issue two, you know, had the Iceman Kitty Pride thing, that's when I picked up issue two, and it's just been because I had no intention of it after reading issue one. It just the book has gotten progressively better, and the art on issue four is fantastic. Um, Nick Bradshaw is the artist, so I'd say stick with it, Tim, because I think you're going to find you'll enjoy the book a lot more after well, that first issue. Here's my concern: when I was reading this, I I'm I kind of got the impression it's like you know, I'm already reading Avengers Academy, and this seems like at its best it's going to be Avengers Academy. You know, at its best it's going to have X Men interacting with, you know, the the younger mutants of tomorrow kind of and trying to teach them the right way to do things, which is a cool story, but I'm not sure I need two books like that. Well, and that's possible. I'm not reading Avengers Academy, yeah. but I mean, you know. Avengers Academy doesn't have a baby brood in it. 
<laughs> no, uh, and, he, and he is he is he's fairly funny. He is. He's awesome, and he only gets better um, in the book. And, and it doesn't have a, a pregnant kitty pride. I will say that. So you, you should probably keep it going. Mm. You know, uh, comicsology. I know that uh, Tim always enjoys when the con- when the conversation goes this direction. Right, but, Aaron uh, gets a dollar every time he mentions digital comics. <laughs> comicsology had <laughs> a big ninety nine cent sale on Astonishing X Men this week, and you know I've been reading the the uh, books that Greg Pak started I think two issues ago in Astonishing X Men, and so I went and I picked up the Warren Ellis run uh, prior to uh, Greg Pak. And that's got the artwork by uh, Simone Bianchi, mm-hmm. and those are really good. I'm about three books in, and it's it's several. I think it's like twelve issues or something. Uh, I'm about three books in, and I'm really enjoying that. I was curious about that run. I didn't read it, uh-huh. even the, but I, I I love what Warren Ellis did with um, Secret Avengers. So mm-hmm. I was curious about going back and picking those up. I know it's a different you know way of storytelling. I think what we like most about Secret Avengers is the the one shot. Yeah way of doing things but i I was curious about his x-men stuff well what what i like about it is you know it takes place after you know whatever recent x-men drama had happened and you know that this it's before the split between wolverine and cyclops because wolverine and cyclops are both in this book but uh uh, you know they're it's kind of they're re-envisioning you know it's the the x-men out in san francisco uh uh, you know, there it's a lot of activity between uh, uh, them and Sword. You know, Abigail Brand uh, from Sword, and you know they're fighting you know bad guys from a parallel mutants from a parallel universe. You know, which is always a lot of fun. I'm, I'm digging it. It's a, it's a good book and it's beautifully illustrated. You know, I will say Sword is one concept that I miss yeah, in I the Marvel too. universe because it's a great concept, but I haven't seen Abigail Brand I think since Spider Woman. Well, and they they. They, I don't know if it's appeared elsewhere in the X-Men books because you know I'm not a big X-Men guy, but they talk about this island where they dump all the uh, spaceships that crash on Earth because you know there's so many of these you know governments will will scuttle them and then drop the remnants out on this island, and so <laughs> they, they they have to go there to to you know find this one ship where there's been some mutant activity, and it, it's it's kind of an interesting concept, you know, because we do see spaceships crashing in the Marvel universe all the time. What happens to those? Well, this is what happens to them. It's interesting. interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I'm digging it. Like I said, I'm only three issues in, but you know, one of the things I like about astonishing X-Men is that it stays kind of contained to those pages, mm-hmm. you know, like when, uh, uh, Joss Whedon and, uh, uh, Cassidy were, were, were doing their run. It was all in, you know, within those pages, with the exception of expanding into their annual, um, that's what always keeps me off X Men books. You know, I don't want to have to read the entire run of X Men or buy the latest crossover and yada yada. And, you know, next thing you know, you're adding another ten titles to your to your pull a month. Uh, I like being able to read one X Men book. Well, and that's what I like about Wolverine and the X Men. I think you can read it. I mean, you got it. There's a split. You're good. And you can enjoy the book on its own merits. Yeah. Um, and it has a bunch of new characters who I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it has Wolverine and Kitty Pride and Beast and Iceman. You know, great characters. You know, some of my favorite X-Men there. Um, but it also has Brew. 
He's mm-hmm. the he's the young brood. Uh, it's got Quentin Choir, I believe is his name. He's like this super powerful telekinetic guy, and just re- really interesting characters. And it's a lot of fun, and that's what it boils down to. I'm I'm looking for fun books, and you know sometimes X Men books just aren't fun. Yeah, you know they're they're so mired in oh what well, are the mutants persecuted by man blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. You know this is just fun. Yeah, no, and, I, and I think that's also what I like about Astonishing X Men is that there's a lot of sense of humor about it. Um, you know, they seem to be aware of how angsty they tend to be. <laughs> you know, I, I, I dig that. You know, one of the things, and we've talked about this previously, is, you know, I'm kind of fed up with the, oh, woe is me, I'm a mutant, I'm so persecuted storyline. Um, and you're not getting a lot of that. I mean, the the the, the uh, point of Astonishing X-Men is, hey, we're out protecting mutants because there's only 198 of us and less now. Because you know people keep killing mutants. What's up with that? And uh, but there is a sense of humor along with it as well. It's not just all you know. Woe is me, yeah. as we've seen in the past. True. Well, some pretty big releases next week. Not huge, but we have a decent week next week. What's coming out next week, Paul? Well, uh, Aquaman number five. Aquaman number five. You get a double dose of Fantastic Four with a Fantastic double, Four and FF. A double dose is, is that like you know Fantastic Eight? <laughs> I know Fantastic because I'm not buying either. You're getting Fantastic Fours. <laughs> uh, Secret Avengers twenty one point one, the first issue of the Rick Remender arc. Curious about that one. I am too. Um, is anyone picking up Justice League number five? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get it through the end of the storyline. Sucker. <laughs> Voodoo number five, the first one from the new writer. I'm now, not sure here, I'm going to put that on my pull. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to look at that in the store. Now, so two books. Well, well, one book I'm definitely picking up, which is Grim Fairy Tales Alice in Wonderland number one from our buddy Raven Gregory. Woo! Definitely picking that one up. Um, is anyone going to pick up Infestation 2 number one with me? crickets <laughs> <laughs> uh I'll, I'll look at it on the shelf and i'll see how the art is inside. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm having to take your recommendations paul with a grain of salt <laughs> I, i'm not recommending it uh-huh, yeah saying i want to read it uh-huh yeah batman i recommended yeah whatevs yeah screw that guy well and if you're enjoying what's going on in batman and robin next week uh they release batman and robin white knight dark knight which is a trade paperback of the the Pete Tomasi, Paul, Patrick Gleason arc that they did on the Batman and Robin title, mm. and uh, that Tim and I really enjoyed. And it also collects um, another arc by Paul Cornell, which was actually a pretty good arc too. Those were Dick Grayson Batman, by the way. Yes, Dick Grayson Batman. Just FYI. so a little less angsty, but very cool and beautiful art. Well, does that put a bow on it, guys? I believe that it does. Let's cap this. All right. Well, you guys have a good week. You too. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm